We're looking at Luke chapter 24. Eventually we will go to Revelation for our opening text, but we'll be in Luke chapter 24. We'll read from Revelation chapter 1 momentarily. I appreciate all the good music I'm excited about today. This is a great day. I mean, the Lord is alive and well, and uh, he's going to take over one day, and that's going to be great. Luke, of course, as you know, is a Greek. We call him a Gentile, specifically he was a Greek, and he writes in classical Greek. Uh, certainly more educated than a lot of our gospel writers. If you, you, you don't read Greek, but the, some of the writers are fishermen and their Greek is different than, than Luke's. He was a brilliant man, a physician, wrote 23 unique parables. He wrote about the miracles of our Lord, traveled with Paul. He writes about 11 of Christ's prayers and uh, just a great writer. And in this chapter, we have several great things. Of course, we have the open tomb. But we also find that we have opened eyes, opened uh, scriptures, opened understanding, and eventually they opened their mouths and shared the good news that Jesus Christ was alive. And in verses 13 and 14, we're not going to read our text right now, but Cleopas is walking with someone else the seven miles to Emmaus from Jerusalem. They end up turning around and going back. But they're walking seven miles Some believe actually Luke is walking with him. This is a unique passage. Only Luke writes about this. And he says, Cleopas and another. John does that a lot, but we know that John eventually identifies himself as being the other person. Luke doesn't do that, but it could be Luke. We just don't know. But these two end up going back to the upper room where where we can have a tour of of Jerusalem and see probably where they met. And and, and they go and share with the eleven. Really, the ten. Thomas wasn't there. The eleven. The great news. And so here the two people are walking. And uh, this little walk. And, and I love it that the Lord joins them. They don't even notice it's the Lord. You know, I love the little song. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. Isn't that great? Do you know when you don't recognize him? He's there. He's there. When you're discouraged, he's there. Now let's Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. If you have that, stand with me. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18. And Jesus is speaking here. He says, I am. And and that's enough right there, I am. Because that connects him with the Old Testament, the I am of the Old Testament. Yahweh, the self-existent, pre-existent one. I know I need to read. Shut up, pastor, and read. He says, I am the first... And the last, I'm the first and the last. Then verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And then what does he say? Amen. Amen. He's alive forevermore. And I have, and he has the keys of hell and of death. That's why he didn't weep when Lazarus died like others. Because he knew he had conquered death. You know what he wept about? We learned last week lost souls. And if you don't know him today, he sheds tears over lost souls. Hebrews says he still sheds tears as he's praying in heaven. And that's something he still prays. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in this evil world. We need you this hour. We need you every hour. We need you on Monday and Tuesday and every day of the week. We need you here today. We need you because, Lord, we're people who sometimes lose direction. 
get confused, get discouraged, sin. And Lord, we need today for this week to be a reminder of how great thou art. And we thank you for everything you've done for us and everything you're going to do in our lives. As we trust Philippians 1, 6, he that hath begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Bless now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Luke chapter 24. We'll be picking up now in verse 15. He starts out in verse 15 saying, and it came to pass. Luke, this is a common expression of Luke. He uses this phrase 40 times in the gospel of Luke. And it came to pass. That while they commune together, that means they just talk. And then this word in reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. The word reason is our word dialogamai. We get our word dialogue from it. That's the Greek word. And not that you need to know that, but they were discussing. Uh, Kenneth Wiest, a Greek scholar, writes a great series on on word studies and waste word, word studies says this was animated, animated, uh, intense back and forth dialogue. They were really having a discussion. I mean, all the things that had happened, and then the ladies said, "He's not at the tomb. We saw him. He's risen." And all these things are going on, and these two guys are walking. Cleopas is one, and whoever the other, and they're having this discussion. And Jesus sort of joins them, just walks along with them. And we notice there's blindness in verse 16. It says here, but their eyes were holding that they should not know him. They didn't recognize him. Word, it could be translated in many ways. They didn't perceive it was him. They didn't understand that it was him. Uh, one way it's used is, is the intellectual knowledge. It meant they, they needed to examine if, so they could figure out and understand who it was. So here he is. He's walking with them, and they don't recognize him. Their eyes were holding. You know, sometimes discouraged eyes don't notice God's presence. Have you been discouraged? He's there. He walks with you, and he talks with you. You've got to listen. You've got to be aware of his presence. And sometimes when we're discouraged and we have a lot of difficulty, we don't know his presence. And so here they're walking, they're discouraged. Like the, Remember the Syrian army. Elisha's servants saw the Syrian army. And he was discouraged. He didn't recognize God was there. And he was concerned. And, and so, as F.C. Cook says, he was of a different body, a ghostly body. Now the disciples uh, thought they'd seen a spirit. And so he had to eat with them so they understood who he was. He had a glorified body. Mark says he appeared in a different form. It's sort of like an angel would appear, but it's the Lord. And so he appears and they don't recognize him. They don't look carefully to see that he's different. They don't examine him. They just He's walking beside them. And they're looking down the pathway and they don't recognize him. And so this, they begin to talk. The Bible says in verse 17, they communicated. I love the word here. It's the word logos. Uh, some pronounce it logos. In John 1, in the beginning was the word. That's logos. And the word became flesh. So here he is. He's walking with them. The living word is walking and talking with them. You want to see Jesus today? The living word is in the written word. Just get in this book. And spend time with him. And so they're walking. They don't recognize him. But all of a sudden he's walking with them. 
And, and there's, there's not only blindness, there's sadness. Look at verse 17. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as ye walk and are what? Sad. You're sad. And, and he says, Why are you sad? Well, they felt hopeless. You know, if you're without the Lord Jesus Christ, you are hopeless. If you believe that this temporary world is all there is, you don't have hope. Because one day you're going to face him. And if you don't know him, it's a hopeless situation. I remember my wonderful grandmother got pancreatic cancer. Now, she lived a long life, but that was an incurable disease. And when they told her, you only have a short time to live, I believe it was six months, and that's all she lived, it seemed hopeless to me. But you know, I'll see her again. Because of Jesus, there's hope. Because of the resurrection. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. And so he says, why are you, why are you so sad? Why are you so without hope? And he walked to them. Remember when he appeared to Abraham and Sarah in the tent? You remember when he appeared to Lot? And he, uh, he, the angels appeared to Lot. Lot didn't recognize it. But Mark, uh, he, he appeared to so many people throughout the Old Testament. I've lost my place. But I, I love how, he, how Sarah and, and Abraham entertained a stranger. And here they are. They're walking with him. They don't know who he is. And it says here in verse 19, and he said unto them, what things? Now, he's playing coy, isn't he? What, what are you talking about? What things are you talking about? What things? And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. That's what we're talking about, this mighty prophet. Remember what Moses said. Moses said, he'll raise a prophet in the midst of his brethren. And he did that. He, they, God raised up Jesus in the midst of the Jews, and they rejected him. A prophet, mighty indeed. And so the Bible says here he began to take the Old Testament scriptures and teach them all about Jesus. And here's a two-hour walk. And the whole time, he's explaining how Jesus was the fulfillment of all the law. They don't know it's him, but he's teaching them. I love the, the Feast of the first fruits. Jews celebrate that on Sunday. In fact, that's this week. We're not on the same time as they are, but the Jews will be celebrating Pass, uh, the first fruits feast. They already celebrated the Passover, and they're celebrating the first fruits. And what does Jesus say in 1 Corinthians? That he's the first fruit of our resurrection. And so they're celebrating this feast, and it's all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here, they talked about this mighty prophet. In verse 21, why are they sad? Well, look at verse 21. But we trusted that he had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. We trusted that he'd redeem us as a people. In the Greek grammar, this is emphatic. They were really worked up. We trusted, we, we really believed he was our hope. We believed he'd redeem our nation. But folks, he wasn't there at that time to redeem the nation from Rome. He's to redeem people from their sin. He would provide redemption. The zealots wanted to kill the Romans. They'd sneak down at night and slit a Roman guard's throat and sneak it back up into the hills. They couldn't catch him. And here's Jesus, and maybe he's the zealot that's going to totally overthrow the city. But he wouldn't do that. And in verse 22, they begin to tell him, well, he, and they tell him about the ladies. They said, these, these ladies who were at the tomb, these two women. And they were astonished. They were astonished. 
in verse 20. They were astonished. You know, verse 22, they're astonished. And that's an interesting word. It's translated in your Bible in Acts, bewitched. Mary Magdalene's bewitched. And I love how it's translated in 2 Corinthians 5, 13. Beside ourselves. You ever been beside yourself? This is the time to get beside yourself. This is astonishing. He rose from the dead. Certain women. Now, remember, Jews didn't take women's testimony to be much. So these Jewish women are saying, he's alive. Mary Magdalene says, I've seen him. That didn't matter because she was just a woman. We've learned women's word is certainly as good as a man's any day. But here they are telling him. And, and they're sharing all this, and they said the women were really, really excited and said they'd seen him. And so, because they were besides themselves or bewitched or astonished, we, we really wonder what's going on. And they're having this discussion, and what does Jesus do? He interrupts them. And he said, oh, fools. Oh, fools. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Oh, fools. Now, there's two different Greek words translated fool. This is not the one he uses in Romans chapter 1, moros or morons. He never calls a Christian a moron. It's a different word. This is the same word he used with the Galatians. Oh, ye foolish Galatians. How do you miss this, he says. How did you miss Psalm 1610? That God wouldn't allow his Holy One to stay in, to be, be corrupt or stay into corruption. How did you miss that? How did you miss the prophet of, of Deuteronomy 18? How did you miss all those prophetic statements? And so he begins to expound and he, he spends two hours, as we already said, sharing all this with them. The Christ, the one who, who ought to be, in verse 26, he says, he ought not Christ to have, have suffered these things. That word ought is translated must 80 times in your Bible. Christ had to die. If he didn't die, I'd go to hell and you'd go to hell. You see, God desires death. He desires blood and death for sin. Did you know that? The wages of sin is death. They'd take a lamb every year and they'd kill that lamb and that blood would pour all over the mercy seat. That appeased God temporarily, but God wanted a one-time payment and he sent his son Jesus to pay it once for all. Had your sin has been paid for by Christ, that doesn't mean that you're forgiven and saved because you have to repent, admit your sinner, repent of your sins. But anyway, it says here, had Christ had to be killed. So they reasoned together. Then it says in verse 27, he expounded all the scriptures. Verse 27, look. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded all the scriptures concerning himself. The word expounded is translated in Acts 9.36 to interpret. He interpreted all those scriptures for him. Wouldn't you have liked to have been walking with him there and listen to that? For two hours, he interprets all those difficult Old Testament passages and explains to them that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He hadn't told them who he is. They don't know who he is. But he's sharing all these things. He's expounding all these scriptures. So there's dialogue and there's interpretation. And in verse 28, he made as though he'd go a little further, the last line says. He acts like he's going to continue going when they, when they get ready to rest. I, I like how he, he just sort of uh, keeps them guessing. He made as though he'd go further. In verse 17, he asked, what are you talking about? In verse 19, he said, what things? 
Now he acts as though he's going to keep traveling. But they constrained him, saying, abide with us. Abide with us. Maybe they chose an end. Remember Lot, when the angels came to Lot, what did he do? He offered them hospitality. In fact, Lot offered good biblical hospitality, but Lot was just not right with God because he offered the guys that were following his daughters. Because he didn't want them following these guests. And so it's so, so customary to offer hospitality. Saul was fed by a medium. Abraham, of course, entertained strangers as well. So here they, they offer him, come and abide with us. I like what Scripture says about abiding. John says, that if we abide in him and his words abide in us, we'll ask what we will and it'll be done unto us. I like John 15, 4. It says you can't bear fruit unless you abide with him. Some of you wonder why your lives are fruitless. You know why? You don't abide in him. You don't spend time in his word. This is where you'll find him, Remember? This bird, book, excuse me, a book is inspired, means God breathed. It's amazing, years ago I knock on a guy's door to tell him about the Lord, and I was so intimidated by a massive guy, and I was nervous, but as soon as I began to share this word, guess who became nervous? He did, because this is the sword of the Spirit, it's supernatural. And I've seen big men shake because of this book. People will get more agitated at you if you preach God's word or share God's truth than if you take the Lord's name in vain. While you can cuss God, most, most people, sinners, certainly don't mind. But when you talk about the love of Jesus, boy, all of a sudden, hey, it's getting too personal. I was inside a days of years ago, door knock, I knocked on the guy's door and started talking to me. He said, my religion's my business. And I thought, okay, buddy, you know, chill out a little bit. And I, I went on my way. And his, his, his religion is also God's business. And one day all of us will bow, every knee will bow. But anyway, we look here and it's, he says, uh, if you abide with us. And I say we need to abide with him. Some call him rich and ask him not. Some call him light and walk in darkness. Some call him the way and stray from the straight and narrow. Some call him master, ignore his commands. You know how many people profess to be Christians? Say, yes, I'm a Christian and ignore the word of God. If you're going to call him master, you had better obey his commands. And so we need to abide in him. And I love it as he, they invite him to stay with him. And then we get to verse 30. And so it came to pass. Again, Luke's expression, like John uses, verily, verily, Luke says it came to pass. As he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Now, Caiaphas and whoever, if it's Luke or whoever, had never sat down that we know of and broke bread with the Lord. But he sits down at the table. And remember, unleavened bread is hard. It's like a cracker texture. And he takes it and he breaks it and he gives them each a piece. What an object lesson. They knew all about the breaking of the bread. They had broken bread, not with him probably, but they had broken bread before. They knew it would point to the Messiah. Jews have been celebrating Passover since Egypt. 
They knew all about the bread and how that would point to the Messiah. And of course, it says here, verse 31, and their eyes were opened. And their eyes were opened. So there's enlightenment and then there's excitement. There was sight and then there's delight. Their eyes are opened. Bam! All of a sudden, he vanishes. And they're like, it's him! And he's gone. Think of Elisha's servant. When God opened his eyes and he saw all hosts, the angels of God, all the armies of God. How excited he must have been. Here, these guys, they've had this animated discussion, and all of a sudden their eyes are, are open, and they, they realize that's who it was. They said one another, verse 13, did not our hearts burn within us? I like that kind of heartburn. Didn't our hearts burn inside of us? We knew something as we listened to him and talked with him. Like some of you, maybe if you're here today and you're lost, the Holy Spirit is just pricking your heart right now. You have a little heartburn, a little anxiety. You wish you wouldn't have come to church. Because you think, oh, this is, this is uncomfortable for me. Listen, if you're lost, you're definitely out of your comfort zone when you're sitting under the gospel. But Jesus wants to save you. He loves you. And he died for you. And it is uncomfortable to realize you're a sinner. And to realize that if you don't repent of your sin, you'll spend eternity in hell. And so here they are. And, and they, they, they just knew something's going on here. And, and their heart was burning. While he talked with us, by the way, he, our hearts burned while he talked with us, by the way, and he opened to us scriptures. Remember in verse 31, their eyes are open, their scriptures are open. Verse 45, then he opened their understanding. All of a sudden, it all makes sense. All of a sudden, they understand. And there's excitement, verse 34. They rose up, verse 33. And return to Jerusalem at the same hour. All of a sudden they say, we're going, we're going back to Jerusalem. Rose up that immediately. They got up. Used the facilities. Hit the road, Jack. You know? I, that's a song. I don't sing it or anything. I, I, whenever I do something like that, I got to apologize. Someone thought, oh, look what he's listening to. I, I don't know. I just heard that years ago. Hit the road, Jack. You ain't coming back. They all of a sudden said... Let's go back. We've got to go back to Jerusalem. We've got to tell everybody. And that's what we're supposed to do. Tell everybody. So they pack up, get whatever they need for this two-hour trip, and they head back to Jerusalem. And the Bible says they go there to meet with the eleven. And they returned seven miles. Verse 34. We said there's enlightenment and there's excitement. There's sight and delight. Look what it says here. Saying, verse 34, Eeyore, Eeyore, the Lord's risen indeed. Did you know that, Eeyore? No, in fact, in the original, it's exclamatory. Just put about 10 exclamation points in here. They made a seven-mile trip, and after walking for two hours, certainly they were a little bit fatigued. I'll guarantee the trip back was quicker. I'll guarantee they made that trip in an hour and 15 minutes. They walked briskly because they were excited. And when they got there, they didn't say, hey, he's risen. They said, he's alive. I'm telling you, we walked with him. We talked with him. We felt him in our hearts. He shared scripture. He's the Messiah. He's the one. He's alive. And that's how we ought to share our joy. You know, the world looks at us and thinks we're nuts. We look at them and know they're nuts. 
How can you live in a world like this without Jesus? I don't understand how somebody can go through life without the Lord in their life. With all that's going on in the world, all the perversion, all the evil, we watch in horror as Ukraine's bombed and, you know, they find 900 civilian bodies in the city and the world's doing nothing about it. Giving arms is just wonderful. We should have given them to the Jews and the concentration camps. They could have done a great job as well. I'm exaggerating, but the truth is, while it's good to give them weapons, we shouldn't stand by and let this go on. Our Air Force could go over there and make mincemeat of their Air Force. It's obvious our technology is better, our equipment's better. I'm not saying to send soldiers in, but we're standing by and watching it, and the whole world's horrified by it. We're all sickened by it. We're all sickened by all the perversion. Especially the Christian community, we see all this immorality, and we're just, it's just bothering us. And I get to the place where I say, Lord, why don't you just come? Please come, Lord. I don't want to live here anymore. But I have hope. You know why I have hope? Because he's alive. I have a reason to live. I'm going to see Grandma again. I'm going to see my parents again. I'm going to see my loved ones because he is risen indeed. Verse 35, and they laid hold on on what things were done in the holy city and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. So they said, here's how we knew it. He's walking with us. He shared scriptures with us for two hours. Oh, he made sense of all the scripture. And then we sat down for a meal after our long journey. And he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to us. And then we realized he's the one. He's the one. It was the breaking of the bread. He's the one. In verses 33 and 35, we find they tell the story. In verse 35, and they told what things were done. This is an interesting word, the word told. And again, I I do some of this and maybe you say, well, we don't want to know it. But it's the first Greek word students learn in hermeneutics and homiletics. It's called the word exegesis. It means to draw out the truth. If I'm going to be a good pastor, I have to tell you what this text says. I'm not here to entertain you, although I wish I could entertain you sometimes. Not here to do that. I'm here to draw out the truth of what it says. We learn the word eisegesis means to read in whatever you want to read into it. Someone would read this chapter on the resurrection and then preach on a totally different topic, not even explain. But our job is to explain. And and so here's this word used for the first time to draw out the truth. And so they explained. Everything he did and explained it in the context he did. And it says that what things were done in the way and how he was known of them. The word known is a great word, isn't it? I love 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that you may know. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. Listen, if you don't get in this book, you're not going to know him. You're not going to know about him. You're not going to know how to live your life. Christians, get in this book. It's the greatest guidance you have. Had someone asked me for advice this week, and I wanted to say to them, have you talked to Jesus about this already? Had some great visits this week, and and people are are sad. And and so many, I'll tell you about a different visit. I visited Johnny and Darlene, and Johnny had all his toes removed. 
front part of his foot is gone, and you can see the blood oozing out, and I could see it has broken him. I, just to lose one toe, but to have him amputated because of diabetes, and I could see that this really has got them discouraged. And so all I did was just encourage them to get back to the hope we have. And that hope's in Jesus. That one day he'll have a good foot. Mike, one day you'll run the streets of gold. One day I'll be able to sing and make a joyful noise to others besides just myself. There's hope in Jesus Christ. These things I've written that you may know and explain all these scriptures. I love this little story I read about a, a man in India. He was trying to sell his quail, so he brought his quail to the marketplace to sell. And he had a little wheel with strings, and the wheel would go round and round. He tied a string to one leg of each quail. So the quails would just walk around. When people came up to look, he said, I'm selling them. Would you like to buy one? One guy came along and said, I'll buy them all. It's a big wheel and a whole bunch of birds. He bought all the birds. The guy's kind of startled because he said, cut the strings and let them go. The guy's surprised, but he's happy to get the money. He cut all the strings off the legs of these little quail. And do you know, many of them just stayed right there, walking in circles. Had to kind of shoo them away, and some landed elsewhere, and they'd watch them walk in a circle where they landed. They didn't understand freedom. Do you know when you trust Jesus Christ, you are free? You don't have to walk in circles anymore. You have direction in life. A little four spiritual laws someone gave me years ago. I know Bill Kaiser gave me one. It said that God has a plan for your life. All of a sudden, I had direction. You know, when you're in high school, you're insecure and you don't know what you're going to do. You're trying to make career decisions. You're a little insecure because you're not sure of yourself. And then someone gives you a little booklet that says God has a plan. Boy, that's reassuring. I knew the Lord, and I realized God has direction for me. He has a plan. It's not to walk in circles. I'm free now. I'm free from sin. I'm going any direction I want with God's guidance. Don't be like these birds and stay in sin and walk in circles. Live like a victorious person. We're free. We're free from sin. And one day Jesus is going to come back. I wish it were today, but until he does, we've got to live. And these things he writes to us so we can know we have eternal life and live like we have eternal life. You're different than the world. They don't have hope. Sometimes the world looks at us and they're disappointed because our lives are a big question mark. If we're saved and we're not living right, it's confusing to the world. Years ago, I was working at a health club. I was 19 when I started working there. I was maybe 20 or 21. I don't remember. And I had a bad attitude. And a guy said, aren't you a Christian? He was looking for the truth, and I wasn't displaying it. And I thought, what a shame that sometimes, and even today sometimes, I drive like the other maniacs on the road. And sometimes I have a bad attitude when the lawnmower doesn't start. Now, it started this season. I like to get a gun sometimes, shoot the lawnmower, and shoot the soundboard, and shoot a lot of things. But we, we have to realize people are watching our lives. We have to be different. 
We have a new inner man. Old things are passed away. You don't have to walk in circles without direction. God has given you freedom and we can fly like the quail. Here they are walking and talking and they said it was the breaking of the bread and all of a sudden they just shared it with joy and glee. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And I say that to you today. Our world is dead and without hope. Wars and rumors of wars. New diseases. As the Bible says, there'll be new diseases. The Bible said there'll be wars and rumors of war. The Bible says there'll be an increase in knowledge. Look at the last hundred years. Flight and telephones and cell phones and all the things we have. All those are a fulfillment of Scripture. All these diseases are a fulfillment of Scripture. Because Jesus is going to come one day just like he said. I hope it's in my life, but the dead in Christ will rise first anyway. And I can't wait to see him because he's alive. Let's pray. God bless us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we have direction, freedom. Lord, all we have to do is trust you, call on you, search your scriptures. Because you've given us all the answers, all the freedom, all the liberty, all the joy. If we don't Utilize it and take advantage of it. Shame on us because you've offered it to us freely. We can have the same exuberance that these two men had when they arrived at the upper room. Because you are alive and because you rose from the dead, one day we too shall rise. We thank you for that hope. Bless now in Jesus' name.